listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program and thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. It is obviously snowy, inclement out there, difficult driving conditions, difficult conditions, especially for pedestrians trying to get around. Everyone, please slow down because we have a crisis on the streets of this city and it has nothing to do with the weather outside today. It may be frightful, but the roads are increasingly deadly. People are dying in the city. And drivers, increasingly, are fleeing the scene. Why? In our next half hour, we are going to look at this. We are going to look at what is happening on our streets and ask some very pointed questions about why this is happening and why we are being failed by those who are elected and paid to protect us. Disproportionately, our elderly citizens are being victimized on the streets of this city. But everyone and anyone is vulnerable. We're going to look at this at a number of different angles, but we begin at Young in Eglinton, where earlier this year, a 54-year-old pedestrian was killed after she was struck by a cement truck. That happened on September 10th. Emergency crews were called to Young Street and Erskine Avenue near Eglinton around 10 a.m. for reports of a collision. Police say the truck was turning right from Young Street and hit the woman. Evangeline LaRosa, as she was crossing the road. Now, after her death, well, Toronto City Councilor said that they should have a temporary freeze on all construction in the area. And then a day later, more councilors joined in, saying that traffic safety had to be paramount in that area, which you know is under construction because of the Crosstown LRT. And from the Toronto Star... I'm taking this from the Star that reported shortly after that, a one-year pilot project was announced. It's going to involve a hub coordinator. And a city news release on that day said it will, quote, conduct logistical planning of the right-of-way, review construction management plans, connect travelers with real-time information, collaborate with enforcement officers, and communicate impacts and changes to businesses and communities in the neighborhood. That pilot project, ladies and gentlemen, begins today. Will it make any difference? Will it make the road safer, especially for those elderly citizens trying to get across the road in a construction zone? You may ask yourself, what is this Vision Zero thing you keep hearing about? Counselors keep talking about it. Well, Vision Zero is a multinational road traffic safety project that was launched back in 1997 in Sweden, approved by their parliament. And then it is spread around the world. And in terms of Toronto, what it is, is a comprehensive five-year action plan focused on reducing traffic-related fatalities and serious injuries on our streets with 50 safety measures and six emphasis areas, as I read from the Toronto City website about the Vision Zero Road Safety Plan. Catherine McDonald is a Global News reporter who has covered far too many of these cases. Just last week, she was reporting on yet another fatal accident. A 77-year-old woman killed. The driver fled. And increasingly, that is being the case. That has been the case in the city. And Catherine McDonald joins me on the line. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Ellen. Catherine, you have, as I said, covered too many of these last week. What can you tell us about the update on the 77-year-old woman that was killed on Islington? 
there still is not an arrest in that case. And uh, officers, obviously, these are priority calls. They were canvassing the following day, meaning they were out looking for surveillance video, uh, which they did put out later in the day. They're looking for people who may have uh, seen this vehicle. And and it's really, like you said, it's happening over and over. There's still an outstanding case from the Labor Day weekend when Celeste Jones, um, a young woman, was crossing the street going to a bus stop, and she was hit. That was... Ellesmere and Pharmacy, if I'm not mistaken, or, uh, you know, Shepherd and Pharmacy, pardon me. And these families that I've met, they, they can't move on because they, they have no, you know, they have no idea who would do this and why they would leave their loved one there to die. You spoke to the nephew of the 77-year-old woman who was killed. Here is Santino Lapadulo. She was to live there a long time, many years. She was a very good person. She was uh, very friendly with everybody. She had a lot of friends there. You know, they felt very sorry for her. And, well, it was a shock to us, as I said before. And I hope they found the guy that did this or the lady that did this. You know, we're suffering. That is a family member of a 77-year-old woman who was killed in a hit-and-run last week. I'm speaking with Catherine McDonald our global news crime specialist. And and Catherine, I found this so interesting. An analysis by the Globe and Mail has found more than one quarter of drivers involved in a pedestrian death in Toronto did not stop, and that is double the rate it was just three years ago. Anecdotally, is that what you have found? You know, I I can't remember a year like this. Uh, As you said, it seems like it's happening more and more, and we ask ourselves why. I was talking to an investigator this morning, and he said, He's had a few cases where people come back an hour later, sometimes four hours later. And in those cases, um, the drivers say that they're scared, and that's why they didn't stay at the scene. But there have been other cases that I remember where, you know, even uh, it's taken days, if not, you know, weeks for the police to arrest the drivers. And in those cases, the police have been able to trace back that these drivers were impaired or, you know, and and they've charged these drivers, even though at the time they couldn't get a breath sample. Uh, A case that comes to mind was a couple of years ago, a woman was struck on on York Mills near Dawn Mills and uh, the driver fled the scene and uh, she was arrested days later after an auto mechanic called in and said this car has been brought in matching the description with front end damage. Uh, That woman uh, was, uh, investigators were able to trace her back to a bar. Uh, and they had video of her drinking, and they got the bill, and uh, they were able to charge her. She pleaded guilty to not only criminal negligence causing death, but impaired causing death. So I think in many cases that is part of the reason why people flee the scene, because they um, know that they, if they're, if they're uh, arrested, they will be found to be impaired as well. Catherine, what is also truth is that in many cases police just don't have the kind of evidence or surveillance video to be able to make an arrest. And like this case last week on Islington, you know, we've seen cases again and again where police just is never able to close it. Right, and they get video, as they did last week, and it shows a vehicle. In this case, last week, it was a black SUV. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I saw a number of people online were sending in, this looks like an Infinity, this looks like this car. Uh, Acura, well, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, you think, how many cars are there like that in Toronto? You'd be surprised. I mean, the Infinity that I thought it was, I bet they have thousands like that in Toronto. So to try and narrow down that list is daunting and uh Frankly, they really need people to call in and say, this car is in a body shop and it matches the description. Or someone I knew who has a car like this, it's, his car is no longer parked in his driveway. Police are so reliant on that tip to break these cases open. 
This is Catherine McDonald, Global News crime reporter, who joined me on the program to talk about stories that she's had to cover far too often lately. Catherine, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I want to quickly bring in Josh Matlow, Toronto City Councilor, about this pilot project at Young and Eglinton in an attempt to try and keep pedestrians safe. Hello, Councilor. Hi. Is this going to make any difference in terms of our vulnerable road users, especially elderly citizens? Well, time will tell. I certainly hope so. And uh, intuitively, it just makes so much sense. Uh, and it's, it's remarkable that this has never been done anywhere in Toronto before. This is a, a Seattle model that uh, the city staff have borrowed from. But the idea is, is, is to finally coordinate all the different players that have made Young and Eglinton into a perfect storm of all sorts of different construction zones between all the different condo developments uh, and uh, and the ORT, of course, that's being built by Metro links uh, through Eglinton. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're all working in silos. So, you know, each one of them on any given day, any given hour might be uh, getting a whole bunch of concrete trucks or dumpsters, uh, ordering cranes, etc. And and what, what this, this hub coordinator is going to do is work with each one of these actors to get them to start uh, coordinating together and making sure that, you know, you might you might have your concrete truck on Monday, the other might come on Tuesday, etc. They also will be looking at a three-week schedule ahead and actually getting a sense of what is coming, how to coordinate them in a more efficient and effective way, make sure that notices go out to the businesses and the local residents uh, in a more timely way than, than has been done before. And ultimately, even like like little things that are big things, like like when concrete trucks are turning corners on these narrow streets, um, there's a real sightline problem and they're just they're not fit for these streets and there should be flagmen for example to help even make sure that they're moving safely so there's gonna be a lot of these kind of little and big changes all together that i think should contribute to a situation that none of us at young and eglinton asked for uh you know many of us have been trying to change the system so that it can't happen like this here or elsewhere but we're also pragmatically trying to figure out okay well within the limited toolbox we have how do you address this so that it's safer for those of us who live in the area Speaking with Josh Matlow, city councillor, about the pilot project that has now launched at Young and Eglinton on a larger scale, taking a look at the numbers, 24 pedestrians over the age of 60 killed so far this year, 37 in total. Councillor, has our leadership failed us and failed the elderly citizens of this city when it comes to road safety? In general, yeah, I think it's fair to say that. And it's sad to say that, but I think it is, given that um, there are vision zero. This is a term that's used internationally, uh, born out of uh, Sweden, uh, where uh, uh, the basic basic pillars of that that strategy for road safety, vision zero, is uh, uh, regulation, uh, road design and configuration and enforcement, and I would I would submit that that Toronto, while it has incrementally done a lot, it certainly hasn't gone as far or as quickly as it should. Um, and some areas uh, like enforcement failing miserably, like just just inarguably miserably. Um, uh, it, 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 we need we need safer regulations on the roads. The 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 there should be an audit of the the city as a whole to consider where there needs to be a better road design to uh, keep people safe uh, uh, with better infrastructure. And meanwhile, on the enforcement side, uh, uh, on the provincial side, uh, the city, uh, you may have read uh, just in the last couple of days, finally, after years of requesting this by the province, from the province, 
is allowed to move ahead with, uh, they used a fancy term, but it's essentially photo radar for neighborhoods uh, so that, uh, uh, so that uh, uh, where uniformed police officers can't be uh, ubiquitous all the time, at least there's some technology saying to the driver, again, a lot of drivers are wonderful people, but, but there are too many uh, who, who, who drive recklessly, who speed through neighborhoods, who don't stop at stop signs, who think that what's on their phone is more important than looking through their window. And, and there needs to be some uh, uh, consequence, or, and even understanding that there will be consequence for that action. The police have also finally admitted, and I've been moving motions uh, over and over again towards the police services board, uh, uh, they've, they've finally admitted that, that they have a dearth of, of personnel enforcement on our streets. Uh, for example, where young Count, Eglin- Councillor, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm going to have to cut cut you off there. I just have answer, to run out of time. The answer but obviously, in long form is yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do appreciate that. That is Councillor Josh Matlow. I uh, appreciate you being on the program, Councillor. My pleasure, Alan. Welcome back. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us. Uh, David Sabucci is a former politician in this province. He was a cabinet minister in the governments of Mike Harris and Ernie Eves. In 2005, in October of 2005, his father, Thomas, was crossing the road in a crosswalk when he was struck and killed. Here is David Sabucci at his father's funeral in 2005, appealing for the hit-and-run driver, to come forward. You'd think they would do the right thing and for their own conscience, their own remorse, uh, their own being a human being, they would come forward and say, look, uh, maybe these are the circumstances of of what happened, but at least give us some closure. Flash forward a number of years and David Sabucci joins me on the line. Welcome to the program. Hi, Alan. How are you? David, have you found any closure? I don't think it's closure, but I think we've been able to move on by just all of us. My my my, my brother, my my sister passed away last year. Um, just about thinking about the good things about my dad. But what really bothers me is the thought that whoever struck my dad, uh, had they stopped, they might have made a difference in terms of whether he died or not. And that's what really bothers me. Like take responsibility. Uh, for way, you know, it could have been anything. It could have been sun in someone's eyes. It could have been accidents to happen. But really, when you when you leave like that, it becomes a criminal act, and you do really impact the families quite a lot. In our earlier segment, we spoke about a number of recent cases and a recent spike in the number of incidents, fatal incidents, where drivers are driving away. And I'm wondering if every time you hear one of those, what goes through your mind? Well, honestly, it flashes me back to when my dad was killed. Um, I mean, it's so unnecessary that the people just run away. Uh, And uh, some of these incidents really are disturbing because you think someone strikes a a woman with a baby carriage, an elderly person. Uh, They could make a difference between life and death. Uh, Instead, they, they drive away and... Other people drive around the people. I, I, I don't get this. Like, what's wrong with, you know, humanity these days? I think that's a question many of us are asking. What is wrong with humanity? What is wrong in this city? And do you have any answers? You know, we're in the age right now of no one taking responsibility for themselves. 
And everyone involved with these things um, has responsibility. I, I always think, you know, the bigger you are, the more responsibility you have. So a car is bigger than a bicycle or a person. A bicycle is bigger, bigger than a person. But everyone has to just think about what they're doing. Stop being so impatient to get someplace. Start looking out for each other. Uh, if we did that, then we'd be far better off, but just think about it. You know, simple stuff, like don't do stupid stuff. Get a flashing hand at an at a, at a intersection. That means don't go into the intersection. You go across when you see the walking person. And just because you're in a hurry, don't run in front of the traffic and the cars. Beware. You just see what people are doing. You know that occasionally people aren't paying attention. Unfortunately, again, here we are, Alan. We're distracted with our devices. We're walking around buried in a phone and not aware of what's going on around you. And that's part of the problem, too. And I can tell you that this morning, just this very morning, a truck driver in the Halton region was arrested for distracted driving. Apparently, this is the fourth or fifth time this particular driver has been arrested. And it seems, David, like we are more distracted, more aggressive, and less able to fess up to our own mistakes. And more selfish, because we look at these devices, we're lost in our own world. And we lose this awareness of, of the world around us. I mean, the interaction of human beings is really important. The awareness of what's going on around you is very important. And certainly most importantly, being a human being is really important. Uh, caring about others other than yourself. David Zavucci is a former cabinet minister in Ontario. I appreciate you being on the program, David. Thanks, Alan. Good talking to you. Take care. Another stat that is so terrifying is the number of elderly pedestrians who have been hit. Adina Lebo is an ambassador for the Toronto chapter of the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, or CARP, and she joins me on the line. Adina, I know that you walk in the city of Toronto. Do you fear for your safety? Well, sometimes. I mean, you know, like your last uh, presenter said, everybody has a responsibility to, like our mother said, look both ways before you go, whether you're in a car, on a bicycle, and on the street. Um, But city design and uh, behavior changes are also necessary. You know, we as seniors are parents and grandparents, and, you know, we we care about our our children and and everybody. Uh, And pedestrian to cars, uh, pedestrians don't win. Um, You know, so... We need to look at city design. We need to look at our commitment to Vision Zero and the tenants that have been used in other countries uh, to reduce accidents and reduce interaction between the different people who are using our streets. Much has been made recently about a recent uh, gathering in the city where armbands were handed out to seniors, and there was some question about whether or not this was victim blaming and the counselor responsible Cynthia Lai was on this program and here's what she said about that. Well it's nothing about victim blaming, it's about raising awareness, being proactive to make sure that we can have safe roads and make sure everybody is educated, communicated, especially for some of these uh, most uh, uh, vulnerable seniors in my ward. And, uh, I mean, it's very, very well received, and uh, a lot of them, you know, we don't have actually enough uh, 
it's just part of the presentation. We did a presentation before we hand out the armbands, and it was very well received, and I've got requests from some of the senior buildings that wanted us to go back there to do another presentation. That is Councillor Cynthia Lai talking about handing out armbands to seniors, and I'm speaking with Adina Lebo, who is an ambassador for the Toronto chapter of the Canadian Association of Retired Persons. Adina, would you wear an armband? I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. Well, I think that there are uh, design, uh, we're part of Vision Zero, and we've been working with the city and we go to conferences. Uh, There are things that we really need to do to reduce the interaction between pedestrians and cars and bicyclists. And, you know, cities who have been there before and been on Vision Zero longer, you know, have passed laws, no right turns on red, no left turns on red. Red means stop. Um, And this reduces accidents. Also, four-way systems and technology for giving bikes, cars, pedestrians sole right of way or their turn. So is it about making those changes and not handing out armbands? Or what do you it's, think about the armbands? Yeah, it's, a, it's about both, okay? We need to, every person needs to be responsible for what they are doing. Uh, seniors, pedestrians, you know, crossing the streets. Um, but it's also our technology and our design. I do a lot of work at City Hall, and I cross a crosswalk at uh, Bay and City Hall. And the first time I crossed uh, a goal with two people walking across, it lasted for three seconds, and then it became a flashing hand, and I turned around going, okay, it's not my time to cross. And I waited for three more lights and realized that even though there was a three second of of a walk and then the flashing hand kind of came in, I had to walk on that. But that that is a computer design thing that could be changed. I think we give uh, not clear and conflicting messages with signals. Um, you know, that we have to take a look and we have to see what we're doing to make these accidents, you know what I mean, possible. Right. Adina, thank you so much for being on the program today. You're very welcome. Thank you. An interesting conversation and one that I pledge I will continue to have. I will continue to look for answers because what is happening on our streets is not acceptable. We can't be quiet about it. We just can't accept this kind of carnage as well. That's just day-to-day living in a big city. Here on this program, I pledge we will get answers. We will ask questions of those in power. Why are these things not being changed? I'll tell you what, though, I'm excited because I've already got my gift. It showed up this morning. Yes, indeed, he do. This Wednesday, it's the annual Auditor General's Report. Oh, baby, this is Christmas for wonks. Every year, the auditor releases a big report that looks into value for money and where's the cash going. And generally, it just provides a whole lot of negative headlines for about two weeks. It is, oh, it is manna from journalistic heaven, folks. Here's more on what's going to be in that thing. 
It's one of 19 areas in which Bonnie Lissick's office has conducted value-for-money audits this year. The progressive Conservative government cancelled Ontario's cap-and-trade system to reduce greenhouse gas emissions after last year's election and has introduced its own environment plan. The auditor's report will look at whether the government is using credible information to craft its emissions reductions plans and if those plans are likely to achieve their targets. The report will also assess the courts, cybersecurity at OLG, food and nutrition in long-term care homes, and provincial support to the horse racing industry. Allison Jones, The Canadian Press, Toronto. Ooh, horse racing news. Hey, we got a new lead, folks. Here's what's happening today in terms of Ontario politics. The big news, of course, is a big meeting with all of the premiers being hosted by Doug Ford, who showed up today wearing a Winnipeg Blue Bombers jersey. And then he handed out Leafs jerseys to all of the other premiers. Of course, Doug Ford in a a Blue Bombers jersey because he lost that bet to the Manitoba premier over the Grey Cup loss when Winnipeg beat Hamilton. Uh, Here's more of what Ford had to say today about unity. I think it sends a a clear message to all of Canada, all the the provinces and the territories, and uh, and along with the federal government and and the rest of the world, that we may have our differences, but we're united as as a country. That is Doug Ford this morning. Travis Danraj is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, joins me on the line. Travis, did you get a jersey? I didn't get a jersey, uh, and I don't know if I can beat the horse racing news, but uh, I did I did run into the premier uh, as we were going into the washroom together, actually, and I said, how are things going up there? And he said, they're, they're great. And I said, you forgot my jersey. He said, oh, yeah, I'll remember that for next time. But, yeah, everyone got a jersey. But, I, I mean, in, in the media room here, everyone's kind of chuckling, saying, what a way to start off, uh, you know, a campaign of national unity by giving out what is a very divisive jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, here, here, wear this Leafs jersey. Enjoy that uh, back in Vancouver or Talk Edmonton. Talk about rich. Talk about ironic. <laughs> I hear also, you didn't get a jersey, and then here, check out this shout-out to the Toronto Sun from the Premier this morning. What we're doing is we're focusing on three, four solid things. As uh, I think Brian Lilly mentioned in the, uh, yesterday, I feel like there's all sorts of different ideas, but there's four key areas that we're going to focus on, and stay tuned. Brian Lilly, of course, a journalist for the Toronto Sun. So, no jersey and no shout-out. What's going on, Travis? I don't know. I don't know. We, we will see. I'll, I'll try to try to uh, maybe get Francois Legault's jersey, because I don't think he really, he really wants this. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't put it on. Oh, it stings! Yeah, it it stings! <laughs> what are we realistically expecting? Uh, generally, there's very little news from these things, just a lot of, you know, happy talk. That's not very optimistic, is it? Well, yeah, I mean, they, we, will, we will likely see the premiers and the leaders of the territories come out uh, and, and, and talk about some of the issues that there is consensus on, including transfer payments or things like uh, health care. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm not sure that you will see a lot of talk about some of the more divisive issues, which could come up privately at that table. Um, we, we've talked about, you know, climate change a whole lot on this show uh, and about the fact that premier Ford has been railing against the federal government for quite some time when it comes to uh, the carbon tax. Did he give out stickers at all? Were there stickers? Did he give out stickers? (laughs) Stickers of Jersey here (laughs) in the Hilton, Mississauga. Yeah, no, uh, but I mean, listen, it is, it's 
something that uh, Premier Mo really is going to have to sort through here in, in terms of the laundry list that each leader comes to the table with of their concerns, how to whittle that down into a list of priorities that you then take to the Prime Minister at the First Minister's meeting, which is sometime in January, and say, listen, th- this is what we have discussed, this is what we want to uh, focus on moving forward. Uh, th- this you know, idea of national unity, that is uh, wonderful uh, when you when you talk about it, but how does that actually form itself uh, when you've got clear divisions within the country? And I, I mean, some of those uh, real hard discussions on these hot-button issues we're likely not to, to hear a whole lot about during the press conference, but you'll, you'll hear likely more on the, the issues where there is consensus. Travis Danraj always plays 60 minutes. He always puts the puck in the net and grinds into the corners. He is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief. Always great to talk to you, Travis. Thank you. Talk to you soon. I'll try to nab you a jersey as well. <laughs> Could you? Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Cyber Monday is here. Great day for consumers to get massive discounts on popular holiday gifts without even leaving your house or actually doing any work. As in, you're not doing any work because you're online shopping. Merchants like Amazon and Walmart all planning special online deals. Here is Regina Conway, consumer expert for Slick Deals, and more on what you can expect. Most of those deals do get extended through what we now call Cyber Week. However, as we get closer to the holidays, there's no guarantee that you'll see those deep, deep discounts in the same way. Now it's a week? It's a week now? Now it's not just Cyber Monday anymore? Now we got all week to do this? Well, I've just been checking around. I'm, I'm helping you out, folks, because I know there's a lot of things that you need to get done today. You know, but here's some cyber shopping that I have done rather than actually preparing for this program. I've just gone online and decided, well, what can I find? And the National Post has a list of best deals on Amazon right now. What are you interested in? What do you like? How about a Lamborghini off-road hoverboard? One of those hoverboards. Forget about it. Yeah, well, normally they're 700 bucks. Now, 229 That's a deal. That's Wait a minute, I'm reading the wrong thing. Yeah, no, it's seven ninety nine normally, three hundred and nine dollars for the Lamborghini thing. You want one of those Echo Dot smart speakers so that Amazon can listen in on everything you say and China can figure out well, you know what, what you're ordering. Well, you can get one of those for thirty bucks, normally seventy. Instant pot pressure cooker. Normally, those are hot. Those are really hot. That's a that is a hot deal. Normally one hundred and sixty bucks. Now on for eighty nine ninety nine on Amazon. An instant pot pressure cooker. I have one. I have one, and I tell you what. Every time I bring it out, my kids say, "Okay, boomer," because guaranteed you are a okay boomer if you are using an instant pot pressure cooker. Well, you don't have it working right now at home. Oh, I guess you have to monitor it. It's it's an instant pot. It's not a slow cooker. Oh right. The things are different. Try and pay attention. You can get a Shark Duo Clean vacuum for 159 bucks, normally 289. You can get an Insignia 58-inch 4K smart TV for only $449, originally $749. You can get yourself a Fitbit Versa 2, originally 250 bucks now on for $200. You get what I am telling you here. There are deals to be had out there. 
that uh, list from the National Post of all of the deals, best deals on Amazon right now. Now, Cyber Monday hit $7.9 billion in sales last year, and that has become the on- biggest online shopping day in U.S. history. So where do we all find the time to do this? A new study by DeskTime found that in 2018, office workers spent 2.3 times more time workshopping. That's what that's called, workshopping, while on the clock than on a regular day, more than 2.3 times more than usual. The study analyzed 900 users, this is in the United States, concluded that in 2018, nearly a third had dedicated time for shopping on Cyber Monday, spending an average of 17 minutes on the activity. Now, in comparison, on a usual workday, it's 7.4 minutes. And according to research from Robert Half Technology, nearly a quarter of us will shop online during work hours today, 46% of us are going to browse during lunch breaks, and a third of us will just shop all day long. We'll just sit on our computer and just shop all day. David Soberman is with the Rotman School of Management and joins me on the line. David, are you doing any shopping on Cyber Monday? Uh, I'm trying to avoid uh, that because I'm trying to get a bunch of things done, but um, definitely it's uh, something which is popular to a lot of people right now. See, the beauty for you is you study this sort of thing, so if somebody comes in and looks over your shoulder and you're on the bay.ca, you're like, I'm doing research. Exactly, right? I can get away with it pretty easily if I really want to. Does this really have an impact on productivity? I know there's been a lot of worry for employers. Uh, you know, I think that's actually quite hard to tell. Um, the main the main thing, I think, is when someone is actually figuring out what to buy, then probably it might waste a lot of time. But if they have something in mind that they want to get, then it's pretty easy on the Internet to find um, that item, and then they probably might be able to get a very attractive price. So I think for those people that are savvy shoppers and have been looking for something for a while, um, supposing they were thinking of buying it last week, they're probably, you know, maybe I'll just wait until Cyber Monday because there may be some retailer online that offers that one item they're looking for and that, that they get rewarded by having waited the extra few days. Are we seeing that one-day thing? Because we heard in that previous report that it has been pretty much extended to the week now. Is it all sort of Cyber Monday, get it today, or it's gone? Well, I think that obviously these um, holidays, including Black Friday now, you'll see um, shopping in advance. But the fact of the matter is you still have to default to what consumer behavior is. And, you know, the people that are avid online shoppers, they might be shopping a lot, but they are still going to make a point of checking things out on the Monday, just like people who are into Black Friday specials will make a point of going to the stores on Friday morning to find those specials. So I think to some degree you're constrained by the behavior of people. You know what I found interesting this year was a a trend that I hadn't seen previously where stores are really on the Black Friday, the the brick-and-mortar stores are really trying to compel you to come in as if, you know, there's a couple of things. In fact, I bought something on Friday that the the whole point of it was this is not available online. You have to come in. Is that the only way that brick-and-mortars are going to be able to compete with increasing competition from online retailers? Well, a lot of it depends on the category. Um, Certainly in categories where you can order things easily online. Um, bricks and mortar retailers need to leverage 
their notoriety on Black Friday and also uh, the fact that they can provide service and help people when they're making these choices. These would be the two big differences between that and the... Um, Is that your boss, Colin, telling you yeah. to stop I'm, shopping? I'm just trying to... <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, that was me getting getting called. So listen, I'm, I'm sorry about that. that. That's okay. It's probably another tale, uh, radio program who wants you on to talk about yeah, Cyber Monday. I, I don't know about that. I think it looks like somebody, uh, maybe a student that's trying to find me, but <laughs> so I'm hiding in my office. Good place to hide. Um, there, uh, but uh, just getting back to this this whole idea of the, the the challenge between bricks and mortar and retailers, I think the the key thing for retailers to survive it depends on the category. That's the first thing. On some categories, for example, clothing, I think that bricks and mortar retailers have a natural advantage because before people buy, they often want to try things on. The second thing is. When people want service and are inexperienced, bricks-and-mortar retailers still have an advantage. So these are the things. Now, of course, you also have a free-riding phenomenon that goes on between channels, which is something of real concern for bricks-and-mortar retailers. So, what is that? I'm sorry, free-riding? Free-riding. So what I do is I go into a retailer, try on a bunch of things, and find the, the one that actually fits me, and then I go, and I go out of the store and go, go to the online store and order it on, on order it online. So Isn't that called showrooming? I thought that was, is that the same no, thing? Showrooming is something quite different. So showrooming is when you actually go into a retailer, find something you like, and you quickly look on your phone to find out whether that particular item is available at a lower cost. Free riding is taking advantage of the service provided by a bricks-and-mortar retailer without actually buying there. So with clothing, this is something that is actually a big issue. You go into the store, you find the item that you really like, the size, all the details, the color, and then you go to the online retailer and order it after having tried on the, the product in um, a apparel retailer where, of course, they're paying a salary to the person that's helping you, that's watching the, the change rooms and making sure that people you know, don't steal things. All of that requires an investment that's not necessarily related to the amount that they're selling. And stores, this is where it gets complicated, because you have stores that have you know, online presence and bricks and mortar, and then sort of back and forth, and how do they figure out you know, where their customers really are? Well, for sure. I mean, this is this is obviously something which has become uh, very important now. So, big retailers uh, like Walmart and like Costco, like Canadian Tire, now are trying to make their bricks and mortar um, benefit from the availability of an online presence. And so, you can order things, and for example, pick them up in the stores, which is quite convenient for some people. Or at the very least, if you have people that are moving more to online, but they do like the store, then what you can do is benefit from that brand equity by trying to move those customers to the, uh, you know, to the online version of your store. And there's also a lot of, of changeover. I mean, I was just in Costco on the weekend, and when I was there, a guy came up and wanted my name and my, my membership number, and the whole idea was to send me a coupon that if I spent $100 before December 20th or something, I would get 20% off. So this was an offer. Even when I was in the bricks-and-mortar retailer, you would say, well, that doesn't make sense. He's trying to move me online. But no, he, he's 
what they're saying is, we know that some of our customers are going to be shopping online as opposed to going to Amazon or Walmart, please stay with Costco. So even the retailers themselves are taking actions. And, and that was just yesterday, so the day before Cyber Monday, which is kind of interesting. That's when I was at Costco, and they are actually paying people to go and get people to sign up for coupons that give them a discount if they shop online. That's fascinating stuff. David Silverman, he is with the Rotman School of Management. I appreciate you being on the program. Thank you. No problems. Lovely talking to you. All right, hit me with a funky beat. This is for my son, who actually told me about this story. He said, Dad, you're going to talk about the puppy on your show today? I said, I don't know. And then it popped up, sure as shooting, on the CP Newswire. So here it is. Win, this is for you. Russian scientists have now shown off a prehistoric puppy believed to be 18,000 years old. It was found in permafrost last year in a lump of frozen mud near the city of Yakutsk. The puppy is unusually well-preserved with its hair, teeth, whiskers, and eyelashes still intact. Scientists are still trying to determine whether it was a dog or a wolf. 18,000-year-old puppy. This show's gone to the dogs. We'll see you again tomorrow.